So when I was a kid, my parents would take us on road trips. My siblings and I would pile into my family's blue minivan. And of course, we would fight over who sat in what seat and we'd argue over what movie we'd watch on our little DVD player. My parents would play road trip games with us. They'd encourage us to spot cows and other things on the road. One of our most epic family road trips was to Prince Edward Island. We made the 12 hour drive all the way to the eastern coast of Canada. As a kid, these were really carefree vacations. All that I had to think about was what books I'd bring and if I had enough batteries for my Walkman. But now as an adult, I realize, wow, there must have been a lot of planning and coordination by my parents. I imagine that traveling with three spunky, energetic kids came with challenges. Because managing the needs and expectations of a five-person family is a balancing act. So today, we're digging into family travel. You're listening to Alpaca My Bags, a podcast about responsible travel. I'm your host, Erin Hines. Joining us today is Catherine from the travel vlog, Catherine Anywhere. She is an award-winning television editor, travel writer, and an expert in family travel. Catherine says that she had itchy feet since she was a teenager. She traveled solo for years and eventually became a mom to two children. Now, her kids embody that same desire to see the world. Welcome to Alpaca My Bags, Catherine. Thanks, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start by talking about your relationship with travel. (laughs) How were you first introduced to it and how have you grown to have a lifelong travel addiction? Well, I was first introduced to travel by my own parents as a child. And like you, we also used to road trip every summer. So my mother is from Newfoundland, and we grew up in Belleville, Ontario. We would drive to St. John's, Newfoundland pretty much every summer. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's a far drive. (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. And (laughs) we had a blue Oldsmobile, and I think my dad named it Gertie. And uh, I do. (laughs) It's funny because we also had an Oldsmobile at one point. (laughs) And then after Gertie died, we had uh, one of those yellow station wagons with the wood panel doors. (laughs) So that is how um, my relationship with travel started was road trips as a child. And we also would go to Florida um, sometimes in the winter. My grandparents were snowbirds. And so often we would be found in uh, Florida over the Christmas and New Year's break. For me, growing up, it was just a norm for me. It was normal for me to get in the car and go. It was normal for me to sit through three days of driving. It was 100% normalized to me to stop at all these like roadside stands or historical plaques. And that was just something we did. <laughs> And now I just sort of can't stop. I don't know what it's like to not get in the car and and go. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. And interestingly, like my parents never brought us traveling internationally. And then I took the leap myself into traveling internationally when I was in my late teens. And ever since I've been obsessed with it. But of course, like with COVID, now I'm traveling more around Canada and I'm sort of like reconnecting with my love of exploring my own backyard and taking road trips. So that's been really fun. 
fun. So before having your two kids, I know you did a lot of solo traveling and I understand you still do it sometimes. During those years, did you like pre-children, did you ever imagine a future in which you take your own kids around the world? Like I know like my partner and I, often when we're traveling, we're like, hey, could we do this with a little kid strapped to the front of us? Or like, how possible would that be? So it's something we actively talk about. And I'm curious if that's something that you imagined too for your future. No, never. Never in a million years. (laughs) (laughs) I I loved my carefree life, you know, when I was younger. And when I was in my 20s, I was dating a guy who didn't want kids. And he was quite vocal about that. Um, When I was 27, I did a month-long overland camping safari with some girlfriends. And that is just not something I think I ever would have been able to do if I had kids at that time in my life. Like I'm 41 now and I can look back on that and say, yeah, I could totally do that with my kids. But at the time it's like, nope, nope, nope. Don't want kids. They're just going to hold me up. I wanted nothing to do with that sort of life or lifestyle. So could you tell us a bit about your kids? You don't have to tell us like anything you're not comfortable with, but maybe their age and a bit about their personalities. For sure. So my daughter is the oldest. She's 11 and she goes by Miss M, I think, everywhere you're going to find in my social channels and blogs, Miss M. And um, wow, Uh, she is wise beyond her years, probably the best way to describe her. She's incredibly emotionally intelligent and she's very empathetic. Kind of blows my mind because I feel like I can't relate to her on so many different levels. (laughs) My son, uh, the Zed man, he is six years old and he is a wrecking ball. Um, I can now see the stresses that I put my own parents through growing up because he's just as wild, I think, as as I am. <laughs> like, like I would do something and then call my parents after and be like, guess what I did? And like it was the coolest thing in the world. And uh, I have a feeling I'm going to be on the receiving end of some of those calls in a few years from my own son. Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. You mentioned that both your children have essentially an alias for when you talk about them online. And I've noticed that a lot of bloggers do do this. Other people do not. Um, So I actually wanted to ask a few questions about privacy. Some influencers like share a lot of detail about their children, like not just images, but anecdotes and information about their kids. And of course, like there are dedicated mommy blogs out there that do a lot of this. And I have noticed like there's often a lot of backlash because some people say this isn't safe. And others are more selective with the kind of information that they share. So I'm just curious, was it a choice to protect your children's privacy? Like, how do you navigate that? Is it something that you actively think about? Or is it something that's just evolved as they've grown up? Uh, Absolutely. It's about protecting their privacy. Um, Because I think when they get older, they're going to have a digital footprint that I think they never consented to is probably the best way to describe what goes on, I think, in the social media sphere and, and blog world. And to that end, I think by never giving out their real names, I am protecting them a little bit. I mean, I do use actual photos of them in my social media and in my blog. And sometimes I'm actually purposeful in using pictures of them from behind, especially if I'm going to be selling the photos like back to the, the you know, the tourism board of the DMO, unless they're specifically asking for a campaign with my kids face on in it. I will hands down give them, you know, a photo <laughs> with my kids like skiing away from the camera or, or something to that effect. <laughs> because, you know, you 
never know where it's going to end up. You know, it could end up on a billboard on Highway 7 somewhere. And, you know, my daughter could be a model and she never really knew it. Um, I do talk about specific examples or things that have happened, um, you know, or even like parenting mistakes that I've made along the way. And I'm open about sharing mistakes that I've made. And I'm open about, you know, being human. You know, hey, I really screwed this up or really fucked this up or, hey, I had this great triumph. But yeah, I don't want to make it an embarrassing moment where someone could actually Google my daughter's name and then a blog comes up about how her and her brother got into a fight in Barcelona where they're throwing magnets at each other. Like I just, I I don't want that to happen to her one day. (laughs) So I just tend to keep it out. And I think it's easier that way that, you know, my children, they have my last name. So I just wanted for them to make sure that it's one of those things where someone's not going to go into the Google sphere one day and Google them by first and last name. And maybe one of my online dating stories shows up in conjunction with their names. So let's just, (laughs) we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) And has it, has it become more challenging as they get older? Cause I'm wondering like on their end, do they ever say like, I don't want to be in this picture yeah, absolutely. They become living, breathing humans with their own sensibilities and their own agreeances or disagreances. And, you know, sometimes they just don't want to do something. And I have to be okay with that. We could be on a paid campaign somewhere. And if they don't want to do it, that's it. End of story. Like, I can't force them to do something. And by forcing them to do something they don't want to do, I'm invalidating their feelings snowflake as that it sounds to some people like that's just that's my style and that's the way it's going to be I'm not going to like smack them over the head with it and be like now you have to do this yeah yeah no they're just because they're children doesn't mean they like don't have the right to choose like what they're part of and like be part of that decision making another thing we were wondering about is like parental control of travel uh-huh. <laughs> so like you can control what movies music or like content your kids are exposed to but do you apply like any degree of parental control when you travel so for example like are there destinations that you think okay I won't bring them there until they're this age or anything like that I used to think that way. But then last year when we were going to Paris, my daughter really wanted to go to the catacombs. And I didn't think that initially that would have been something that I should have taken them to. (laughs) Because at the time, my son had just turned five. And my daughter was nine, not quite 10. I thought, oh, gosh, I don't know. That might be something really intense for them. Like this is literally like people's bones everywhere that's all stacked up and it's so creepy. And I thought they'd be terrified and what a mistake. And they were quite insistent that this was something they wanted to see. So okay then. So I buy the tickets. I take them to the catacombs and it turned out to be like their one of their highlights. <laughs> what? Wow. Do they? And that makes me wonder, like, do they do their own research yet? Like when you guys are going on a trip, are they like, mom, we researched and we want to do this? (laughs) Actually, believe it or not, we ended up in Europe last year for almost three weeks because that was my daughter's birthday present. I made the mistake when she was nine. I said, for your 10th birthday, I'm going to take you anywhere you want to go. And I thought, what's the harm in that? Because... You know, most kids that age are going to want to go see Universal Studios, you know, Harry Potter World, or they want to go to Great Wolf Lodge or something to that effect. But my daughter being my daughter, (laughs) 
<laughs> and being, you know, so well read and so um, I think aware of the world came up with wanting to go to Cannes in France for her birthday. And I thought, is this a joke? <laughs> and so like, I, I don't think I was aware of Cannes until I was in my 20s. Like- yeah, me, me too. <laughs> And so and now I choose my words very carefully in terms of parental controls. I'm much more measured in how I present options yeah. <laughs> to my children because how can I like go back on my word like that? And I sort of made other suggestions like, hey, are you sure maybe you don't want to go to Halifax or maybe we'll go to Quebec City or, you know, let's let's go do something like that. But she was so steadfast in her choice and she used my words against me. She said, mom. You said you'll take me anywhere I want to go. So I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't undo that now that you've said it. <laughs> right? Like that would have been probably something that would have scarred her for life. What was it about cans that like was so exciting for her? What was it she wanted to see there? <laughs> we had this is so bizarre and so random. My son had a postcard that he brought home from daycare once. It was from Cannes and it floated around the back seat of our vehicle for a couple of years. It was stuck in like the seat back pockets. And she was obsessed with Cannes because of that postcard. And I had no idea. And then she was reading this uh, book series. It was Geronimo Stilton. And a lot of it takes place in Europe. And they, and a lot of it takes place around, and this is a kid's series. And one of the books she was reading took place in Milan. And it actually, you know, had La Scala in it and things like that. So she understood what the opera house was. And so when we were planning out our trip, she wanted to see that, you know, she wanted to go to Paris. She wanted to see the opera house in Milan. I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Uh, now that I think about it, when I was a kid, I would become like weirdly obsessed with certain things or places based on stuff like that. Like I remember reading a book about Komodo dragons at one point, And for years, I was like, Mom, Dad, I have to see a Komodo dragon. And they were like, we don't know how we're going to make this happen for you <laughs> other than flying across the world and like getting on a ship. <laughs> Just in, in terms of the um, parental control conversation too, I'm curious about what you think about it, you know, this conversation compared to, you know, like TV parental control or like even in Canada with the um, sex ed changing and parents being like, kids are too young to learn any of this stuff. I remember when I went to Greece, I was 10 years old and my parents said to me, okay, you know, don't get upset because there's going to be a lot of men who are going to be catcalling your mom and maybe even you. And that really scared me at the time because I didn't know what that meant exactly. So I'm wondering if you what you think about that, if there's any places that you think about, you know, places that aren't like gay friendly or places like that, that you maybe talk to your kids about or that you're cautious about taking them to. For me as a mom, there are some topics that are off limits with my kids. And that is my dating life and my personal life. (laughs) So that's out of the question for them to know. But if they want to know about the killing fields in Rwanda, or they want to talk about, you know, a mass killing that happened in Norway, or they want to talk about, you know, incel or what's going on in the United States of America in terms of issues with racism, we'll talk about it. Right now, 
the climate in the world has made me a little bit nervous. My kids are biracial. They have a Middle Eastern uh, aspect to their background. So I do understand that there is a component of racism that does come with that. And there's preconceived notions about their heritage. And we have faced that when traveling with their father back in the day. We've been detained in secondary screening um, for no particular reason other than the fact that my ex-husband was born in Karachi. So I do explain <laughs> what racism is, and I've actually done it in the <laughs> at Pearson International Airport or in the Orlando International Airport. This is why we're in secondary screening. This is why we're here. This is the climate. This is what the right wing is, and this is what the world is. And you have to understand that um, not everywhere is as, as accepting um, and open-hearted as as Canadians are. And even Canadians, you know, have their fair share of issues. You know, we've been stared down in drive throughs at Tim Hortons, you know, rolling up. And I do have these conversations with my daughter, and I do not take my white privilege for granted at all, at all. And I have explained to my children that they have been protected because of my white privilege um, and they wouldn't be granted some of those same comforts if they were on the same trip with their dad solo. I mean, what has their reaction been like when you have those conversations, especially I'm thinking specifically in the airport conversation, they're like, okay, mom's got this, you know, we'll just follow her lead. Or are they kind of like, oh, well, I guess I have to look out for myself a little bit more, especially your older daughter. For her, it's like she she doesn't understand a little bit of why people would be that mean. It's the never ending. But why? But why? But why? Yeah, I mean, I've actually read that like traveling as a white parent with mixed race children can also present like challenges in the airport because sometimes they won't believe that these children belong to you. Have you encountered this? Like I was reading that like this is a reason a lot of women nowadays are choosing to like have their children have their last name if they tend to be the ones traveling with them. Yeah. I mean, when my children were born, um, my last name was attached to the end of, of their names 100%. Uh, that was also due to the political climate of the world. You know, not not to discard, you know, their father or anything like that. But I was, you know, trying to protect them. When I travel with my children uh, solo, I do carry a copy of their Catholic baptismal certificate as well as a letter that's signed by their dad in a notary public saying I'm allowed to take them across borders. And the reason why I have always, like I have my kids, like, I'm not a religious person, but I was baptized Catholic. I grew up in the Catholic culture. You know, I grew up in a Catholic school. And, and while I, I don't practice and religion is not part of my life, I, I had them baptized. The reason for that was A, so they could go to a, the Catholic school in our neighborhood, which is a better school than the public school or it was at that time. And B, if I had a baptismal certificate in our travel documents, there's no way a customs officer would ever think a jihadi would allow their child to be baptized Catholic. That was my main my main focus in doing that. Yeah, so there's there's steps you take to avoid like to minimize the amount of questioning that you'll encounter. Yeah. I mean, that being said, I've never been detained solo with my children. I'll be honest, it's a walk in the park to be traveling solo with my children through the airport and through security, through customs. No one has ever questioned, are those your kids? It may not always be the case, but I have been very lucky. Yeah. Could you share a bit of uh, a bit with us about that first experience traveling as a mom with kids? <laughs> the first the first solo trip that I did was actually a winter camping trip with my son. 
<laughs> he was four uh, at that time. And we uh, we did a snowshoeing trip. And this was not something that my daughter would have been into in any way, shape, or form. So I left her um, alone with, with her dad at that time. And I, I took my son winter camping. I thought, you know what? Why not? <laughs> It just, you know, wouldn't be something she was into and he was totally keen. So off we went and it was just like a regular camping trip without the stress. <laughs> because I knew it was only me to rely on. <laughs> you know, like I it, like I was in charge of the food. I was in charge of getting us there. I was in charge of the gear and the equipment and things like that. And if I forgot something, that's on me. So I better get to the Canadian Tire and King Carton and get it taken care of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> to that Canadian Tire specifically. Yeah. <laughs> See, so that was my first, yeah, my first solo traveling trip with, with, uh, with my kids was actually a camping trip with my son. Super easy. But yeah, now I've taken my kids solo, you know, to Florida a few times, um, taken them to Europe now. We crossed into four different countries, like no, no problem. And for me, I find it easier and more organized to just be relying on myself, to not be worried about who's holding the passports, who's holding the plane tickets, who's got our itinerary, what phone is it on, or who has a printout of the train tickets. It's all me. And it's my organizational skills. And that's it. So I find it much easier to know that I, it's just reliant on me. And I don't have to worry about bringing someone else into the mix. That's so interesting. Like now that I think about it, when I reflect on my solo traveling days, like that's something it, it's definitely a benefit is when like you only have yourself to worry about. Yeah. And like the beauty about traveling solo, you could be like, oh, hey, I'm going to go to Lisbon tomorrow on the train. And you would just literally look up the train times from wherever you are and be like, well, how am I going to get there? La la la. And you would book your ticket and go. You know, we're in we're in Marseille today and they, we want to go to Milan tomorrow. So I am literally like on my phone that night booking my way to get a train ticket to Milan. And I just like, okay, kids, you have to wake up at this time tomorrow because we're catching the train at this time. It's one kilometer walk to the train station from our hotel. So off we go. And they're like, okay. Beautiful. <laughs> I can say personally, I'm super inspired by, by how you've incorporated travel into your kids' lives. I really hope that one day when I have my own kids, yeah, I'll be able to show them the world like you have. So I imagine it must feel very special to share your own passion for travel with your kids. Earlier this year, I interviewed a woman named Amanda Kendall. She's from the Thoughtful Travel podcast. And she pretty hilariously told me that she thinks she's brainwashed her own son into being a travel addict. And <laughs> I asked her how, and she was like, just by making it an integral part of our lives. Is this something you can speak to yourself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've normalized the fact that we don't stay home. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty much how you do it. So that's what I've done. I've, I've just normalized the fact that, hey, guys, we're going to go to Blue Mountain this weekend. Does that sound like fun? Yay. Let's do that. Hey, guys, let's go to Tobamori next weekend. You know, let's go see Big Tub Harbor. Let's go take, you know, the glass bottom uh, harbor cruise, you know, like, and I'll start feeding them with things that sound interesting that they will think, oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Let's go do that. Do you ever have to sell it to them? Sometimes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I have to sell things to them. This summer, because of, you know, the restrictions with COVID and things like that, um, we were working with Thousand Islands Tourism and we were showing them that, you know, that we are within our province and we're within our boundaries and, you know, we're going from 
you know, the numbers were really low this summer and we felt safe enough to travel to the Thousand Islands. We're going to a small town, Gananoque's, you know, 5,000 people at most. I had to really sell it to them that it was okay to go because they were more fearful than I was. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when they saw all the Quebec license plates because they had seen on the news that COVID was more out of hand in Quebec than it was in Ontario. And so when they saw that, they became fearful. They thought, oh, no, you know, what if we get COVID by being in Gananoque? I was like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. You know, we're going to take our precautions, you know. And so I had to sell it to them that it was going to be safe to go. And then when we got there, that's what they saw was a flood of Quebec license plates. I'm like, no. Oh, no. (laughs) I mean, it turned out to be a great trip in the end, you know, like once we were there and they saw that we were, you know, carrying forth our same, you know, safe hygiene and hand washing and sanitizing, you know, especially, and that was our first hotel stay since the pandemic had started. So even when we opened the hotel room door, it's like I went in first, I I have Lysol wipes in the Jeep, you know, I went in with the Lysol wipes and and I wiped down the surfaces first. I'm like, okay, guys, it's safe. You know, it's okay. You know, and, and I have all the faith in the world that the motel staff had cleaned it. But in order to, you know, keep my kids at ease, I did this as well. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, like about their degree of anxiety with the pandemic. Like, obviously, as adults, like we feel that too. But I'm curious about how that has impacted kids. Like not having kids myself, it's it's hard to know like how it feels from their perspective. Because I imagine like, Really, it is like a very scary thought when you think about like a pandemic is happening. Like it's the stuff you see in movies. So from a kid's perspective, it must feel very apocalyptic. Oh, totally. You know, and I sometimes now regret in hindsight making all the jokes that I've made, you know, prior to this pandemic about, you know, the walking dead and like, you know, I'm I'm ready for the zombie apocalypse, you know, being a bit of a survivalist, you know, having like go bags in the house, you know, and then this happened. <laughs> And maybe that partially fed my children's anxiety. (laughs) But at least they knew they were safe with me. (laughs) Yeah, they knew you were prepared. (laughs) So I'm sure that that my own sort of like joke, my kids will probably need like counseling because of me one day. So I'm sure that some of my own sort of jokes that I'd made along the way have absolutely fed into that, you know, and as well, like both, you know, myself, you know, my, my dad passed away during the pandemic. And so that has actually really impacted the kids on, on their level. Now, I understand that everyone's experience is unique. And there's a lot of children who, you know, maybe are out in the green zone or in a yellow zone or in an orange zone, and they don't feel the same emergency measures that that we feel right now or have been feeling throughout the pandemic because I think Toronto and Peel, we've always sort of been the quote hot spots of of the province. And that's, you know, where we are. We're in the center of Toronto. But, you know, worst case scenario, they know that mommy has a great big four by four Jeep and <laughs> and I can drive over anything. <laughs> Just drive north. That's right. <laughs> You'll find us on the tundra. (laughs) (laughs) A few years back, I traveled across Turkey. And I'll never forget this bus ride. I met a woman who was traveling alone with her toddler. And we ended up sitting together and chatting. And I asked her a lot about how it was traveling with her infant. 
And she told me that one of the main things that's different when you compare it to traveling without kids is the pace. So she was explaining to me that she has to travel much, much slower. She has to take into account the needs of her baby. So for example, she was like, he, like I might be able to go for like a long tour all day, like 12 hours, but my son can't. And so all of my decisions have to take that into account. So I wanted to ask, in what ways would you say your travel style has had to change or evolve since bringing kids into the mix? Yeah, you always have to account for downtime and you always have to be flexible in your plans because you never know who's going to have a bad night, who's going to have a nightmare, who couldn't sleep, who couldn't get accustomed to, you know, this new bed or this new room, you know, when you're staying in different places because kids are creatures of habit and while they do adapt easily, when they're not in their own comfort zones, when they're not in their own room, you know, they're not in their own home, it does affect them, believe it or not. Like they do take a little while to become acclimatized to where they are. So for me, it's not like I can get in the car and drive to a new destination with them every single day. I make a point to stay two or three nights so that they can be okay with where we are and then we carry on. And I know not to do a full day of activities with them because someone's going to get tired. They're going to want to relax. They want to go back you know, to our hotel or our motel or our Airbnb. They want to have uh, some reading time or some snack time or swim in the pool time or something to that effect. They like to – they'll be more agreeable to carry on and do things with me if I can accommodate them. For instance, you know, I really wanted to see all the sort of art museums and architecture um, when we were in Barcelona. And they just wanted to go to the zoo. And that was really not on my itinerary or really not in my list of things I really wanted to do there. <laughs> but I compromised with them. I said, okay, I'm going to take you to the zoo. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk this way to get to the zoo. And we're going to take a tour through this neighborhood. I'm going to get you to the zoo. I promise you. But you need to walk me through this neighborhood because I want to see this architecture. Oh, awesome. And I feel like that presents like an opportunity for teaching them like important life skills, like when you travel with other people and in the future, like if you have relationships with other people, learning to compromise is such an important part. Yes, because it's not all about me and it's not all about them. That's awesome. So I love following you on Instagram because you give <laughs> such honest insights into what it's like traveling with kids. Um, there's one post in particular that I remember where you talked about how frustrating it can be when you have to spend some of your vacation time disciplining the kids. So I guess it boils down to the fact that going on vacation abroad doesn't mean you get to take a vacation from parenting. Um, <laughs> So I wanted to ask you about this, like, is maintaining disciplinary parenting tough when you're meant to be having a fun and relaxing trip? Do you, do you find that the kids like think that they can get away with more because you're traveling? And yeah, any like parenting tips or strategies for coping, coping with these moments um, for when the kids don't want to listen? <laughs> when that seems to be a frequent occurrence, I will tell you that. I mean, here's the thing. Like, if your kid's going to be an asshole no matter where they are, they could be home, school, abroad, whatever. You have to take that time and tell them why their behavior is not cool. You do have to take the time and still be a decent person and teach them how to be a decent person is probably the best way to put it. Uh, just because you are somewhere different doesn't mean to say that you can say something that's crass or that's rude. Like it's just not something you can do. And if they have that thought or it comes out of their mouth or something to that effect, it becomes a teaching moment. Well, this is why you can't say that. 
And this is why you can't act this way. You know, and it could be you're in a different culture or something, you know, and you have to, you know, abide by different customs in different places where you are. So this has to be explained to them that, hey, we're going here. You need to act this way. Now we get there and then they don't act this way. I have to take a time out and say, this is why you need to do this. You have to respect. So it's a lot about respect. It's a lot about being a decent person. And so, yeah, it really stinks. Trust me. <laughs> like I would love to be sitting on a balcony with a glass of wine in my hand, enjoying the sights of the street while they go to sleep. But sometimes those hours are 100% spent, you know, dealing with, could you please not do that? Yeah. And you've touched on this like a little bit about like the educational aspect. Obviously, there are a lot of moments that come up when you're traveling with them that are, are an opportunity to teach them. And some of them, like you say, may be things that you could teach them at home. But are there any specific aspects of education that you think they get when you're traveling that like you can truly only give to your kids traveling? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's cultural acceptance is first and foremost. It's one thing for you to read about it in a textbook or one thing for you to have a discussion about it in your classroom. But until you have firsthand knowledge, you really don't or can't understand or comprehend, you know, different ways of life, why people think or believe what they do. And yeah, so I think that that is one of the one of the most basic aspects of life that you have to learn by traveling. Yeah. And I mean, that applies to adults too. Like I think even as an adult, it's one thing to read about a place, but once you're there, like your understanding of it will just be more nuanced and, and like in depth because you've actually been exposed to it. I guess like my other question is, I worry that there's like parents that feel like it's completely out of reach for them. Like, do you think that there's other ways that parents can give their kids this kind of like worldly exposure, even if they don't have the budget to like fly to another continent? Like, are there ways to access this that are closer to home, do you think? Mm -hmm. I mean, before I, I think before I answer that, I'm just going to touch on that I'm also a... I also really love the whole idea of rewards points programs. And it's not just about air miles or Aeroplan or RBC Avion. Travel hacking is a whole new way of saving for trips. Um, I've become a dedicated air miles convert and all my online shopping is done through air miles shops. And then I, you know, just earned a few hundred air miles by doing Christmas shopping online this past weekend. So it's things like that that actually go towards your travel fund as well. So it's not just about saving up financially. It's about finding other ways to augment and supplement the cost. Um, but in terms of being able to expose your kids to travel and other cultures close to home, first and foremost, like Harborfront Center in Toronto is one of the most cultural diverse places in terms of, you know, when they have sort of different art displays that come through or different shows that come through, different festivals in the city. You know, I took my daughter once to the the Polish festival and on Roncesvalles one day, you know, just why not? <laughs> you know, it's, it's things like that. I think you need to be able to keep an eye out, you know, in your region and, and where you are and look for different cultural events and just just go just take your kid and, and go you never know what you're going to see or what you're going to find you know reading is always the fastest way to open your eyes to something yeah totally that's an awesome idea and like when you live in an urban center like Toronto or like most cities there's so many opportunities for that yeah. Now, granted, I know that in small towns, that's not always possible. You know, there, you're going to find that there's a lot of places, you know, three, four hours from Toronto with one stoplight that, you know, don't necessarily have those cultural options, but it doesn't stop you from doing virtual museum tours online or, you know, virtual city tours or, or anything to that, that effect. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so like you, when I was growing up, my family traveled mostly within Canada. And I remember how impactful it was to learn when I was young about just the diversity of our own country. Like I will never forget arriving in Prince Edward Island and stopping for gas and someone coming up to help us. And this man was talking to my dad and me and my siblings were in the back seat saying to my mom, why does that man have an accent? And we were, because we had never been exposed. So we didn't realize, like, we just didn't know that, like, in other parts of Canada, people have a different accent. Yeah. So I guess, like, the diversity of the land and the people and the culture of Canada is, like, it's hard to access, too, because we're such a large country. What value do you think it brings to expose your kids to other parts of this country? Lots. I mean... <sighs> to, <laughs> to expand on lots, I mean, Tro or, you know, Toronto might fancy itself to be the center of this country. But really, you know, geography wise, there's so many different land masses and topical changes and, you know, different flora and fauna found through different regions of the country. Like, you're not going to find the tundra in British Columbia. Do you know what I mean? Like you're not going to find, you know, that limestone that you see in Kingston, uh, in Manitoba. You're not going to see the plains of Saskatchewan in New Brunswick. So being able to show your children, you know, so many different aspects of this country and what they, what people sustain themselves on and what the industry is and what the agriculture is in the different parts of the country brings you like a whole big understanding even of where your own food comes from. But I guess what you're saying is like, there's an opportunity also to teach your kids about like the history of this country just by driving and like showing them different areas. Yes. Yeah. It's like every, you know, every town, there's, there's, a, there's a lesson in every town, you know, growing up in Belleville and being able to like, you know, go back now and tell my kids like, this is loyalist country and being able to tell them, you know, what it meant to be a loyalist back in that period in time, um, Whereas, you know, and even like taking them down to Fort York, you know, here in Toronto, being like, so this is where Toronto used to end. And, you know, this is where the water line used to be. And this is an old military burial ground. <laughs> My poor children have been, you know, <laughs> taken to some strange places. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, kids, here's the cholera cemetery. Do you know what cholera is? <laughs> um, so we talked in a recent episode about mental health. And in it, we were talking about how important it is to make for yourself yourself a personal travel toolkit. And I was thinking that this idea could apply to family travel too. So I wanted to ask, what would be in your parenting toolkit for travel? Are there any items that are must have or like just strategies that you need to know? Earplugs. <laughs> uh, yeah, earplugs and backup battery for your phone. Because I find like in hotel rooms, <laughs> when you want to have peace and quiet, when you think about it, when you're checking into a hotel room when you're with your kids, there's a standard like queen size bed or there's two double beds or whatever it is. So there's nowhere for you to carve out like personal space or personal time there that you would have, you know, at home, you have your own bedroom or, you know what I mean? You have your spaces in your house. You don't get that when you're traveling. So um, for me at nighttime, I need earplugs. They're going to go to bed and I'm going to go in the washroom and close the door. <laughs> and I'm, <laughs> you know, and I'm going to take that opportunity now to watch something on Netflix. And I'm probably going to prop my phone up on the counter and I'm going to sit on the edge of the bathtub and <laughs> enjoy my peace and quiet. And that's, you know, for in terms of, you know, mental health and traveling with kids, that's 
probably one of the most important things I can do is take that me time still because you can't be 100% dedicating yourself to someone else at all times and think that you're going to be okay, especially after an extended period of time. It doesn't it doesn't work that way. You're going to break down. You need to have decompression time after the kids go to bed or you take that in the morning before they wake up. Same as on the road. You have to do that exact same thing. You know, keep your rituals. You know, if you like to practice yoga in the morning before the kids break up, break up. I mean, <laughs> you practice yoga in the morning before the kids wake up. Make that part of your traveling routine. Is there somewhere you can do that? Does that simply mean that you have to book two hotel rooms or do you book yourself a suite or something with separate sleeping quarters? You know, you think a, think ahead about how you can satiate what you need to do in order to keep yourself functioning. Yeah. So my sister just had a baby. And so in the house, we've been talking a lot about parenthood and what it means to be a parent and how to navigate it. And my mom recently gave this wonderful analogy about how important it is to take care of yourself um, when you're a parent. And I thought this was such a funny metaphor. She was like, you know, when you're on the airplane and they tell you if there's something happening and the mask falls, put the mask on yourself before you help someone else. And she was applying this to parenthood. She was saying, you have to take care of yourself so that you can be a good parent for your kids. You've you've just demonstrated how important that is. Yeah, I would say I absolutely agree. I can't be at my best for my kids if I'm not at my best for myself. Okay, so to wrap up, I have to ask, what is on your family travel bucket list? Um, This is post-COVID when it's safe to travel. And you can also say, like, this is what's on mine and this is what is on each child's. My son had seen these videos of people like hiking these canyons in Peru. So he hasn't even seen like Machu Picchu or anything like that. But he saw these these canyons. And he also saw like those these sky pod accommodations that are sort of hanging off a mountain. He thought that looked really cool. So I think that might be on his bucket list for right now. My personal bucket list, oh my gosh, like I have a never ending list. Like I've always wanted to do like Fiji, Vanuatu, Tahiti. Like I've always just sort of wanted to like go diving there and just snorkeling and just, you know, play in the ocean um, or, you know, just around like the islands, just go island hopping from island to island. I also want to get my pilot's license and fly my own plane. So, <laughs> so those are cool. other things I'd like to do. <laughs> I mean, that's like way far in the future one day. Um, You know, I have a boating license. Maybe I just need a boat now. So for my daughter, uh, her first thought's going to the kitchen. (laughs) Maybe traveling to the... uh, the back porch. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> She's not thinking much farther beyond that right now. <laughs> yeah. Same. <laughs> it's honestly a little painful, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us, Catherine. This has been really fun. And um, yeah, before we let you go, can you let us know where all our Apaca Pals can find you? Ah, well, yes, you can find me. Um, Catherine Anywhere is my social handle across. Where am I? I'm Catherine Anywhere on Facebook, on Twitter, on 
Instagram. Uh, I have a defunct YouTube channel, but I'll put some new content on there one day. Pinterest. My blog is katherineanywhere.com. And yeah, hopefully, you know, come check out some of my stuff and some of my real parenting moments. Sometimes there's, you know, right now there's a lot of real me lusting after travel moments. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> maybe I'll have some cool stories to share again one of these days. I've actually resorted now sharing like personal details about my own life just to have something oh. to write about. So, Aaron, what do you think? Will you and Luke be able to hack it as traveling parents, you think? <laughs> uh, I imagine it being chaotic and challenging, but I really love that. And I think that, like, Catherine really demonstrated that traveling with kids, like, is an opportunity for so much reward. Like, there's so much you can give to your kids through travel. And I would love to be able to do that for my own child. And also just, like, imprinting on my own kid my personal passions is, like, I think that's, like, a fun part of parenting. You get to, like, raise a little mini you. So hopefully I'll raise a little child that's as obsessed with traveling the world as I am. So that's, like, fun to look forward to. And then hopefully they start a podcast, too, in their teen years. <laughs> and then I can start helping them with that. It'll be, like, I'll pack my bags plus one. And then you guys can <sighs> do it together. Oh, so precious. <laughs> I'll Pack My Bags is written and hosted by me, Erin Hines, and it's produced by Katie Lore. I hope this episode was as fun for you as it was for me. If you enjoyed it, go ahead and leave a review on your podcast app or show us your love on Patreon. Pledging $5 a month or more directly supports the making of this show. The link to our Patreon is in the show notes. That's all for now, Paca Pals. I'll talk to you again in two weeks, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags safely and soon. Bye.